Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, you might say we have the green light. It's episode 302 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and if you've been watching Black Lightning, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Green light's been a theme on the show for quite a while, and now we've got the Markovian War that is in full effect with the ASA and, and Freeland and, hey, Team Black Lightning. And that's right, we have one of the members of... Well, maybe a couple of those different teams actually this week. Christine Adams, who plays Dr. Lynn Stewart, Lynn Pierce on Black Lightning, going to join me this week to talk about what's been going on with her on the show. And man, there's been a lot going on with Lynn. And we got a chance to talk to her before this past week's episode, part three of of the Book of Markovia, headed into part four this Monday at nine o'clock Eastern time on the CW. It's going to be a big one. You know that she's targeted now, but... See what she had to say before that. Also, this week, going to be talking about Lego Masters. Yeah, doing a little bit of reality TV show reviews this week. Don't get to do that a whole lot, so we'll talk about Lego Masters. But first, we have a very important Star Wars comic to talk about this week, and a lot more as well. It's what we're reading up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Greg Pak, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Bags and boards and tablets, oh my, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And this week, yes, Darth Vader back with his own solo series with Marvel Comics. So it's Darth Vader number one, 2020, written by Greg Pak. Raphael Ienko on the the art, Niraj Minan on the colors and VCs, Joe Caramagna on the letters, Inhuk Lee with an amazing cover, as always. Now... This story actually picks up right after Empire Strikes Back leaves off. You know, Luke drops down and escapes Vader. You know the story of Empire Strikes Back. I don't need to rehash that for you. Now, what we see immediately after the fact is Vader going on a mission of his own. Now, given what just happened at the end of Empire Strikes Back, you know what I'm talking about, you can only imagine how fueled by anger that he is after that and and that kind of rejection from his son now you're going to see a, some familiar faces and some familiar images from the movies and I say movies because it's very that's a very important distinction that you that you know but might be surprised as Vader goes along what exactly where exactly he goes and what exactly He's seeing and actually doing, as a matter of fact. It's amazing to think back and how some of those dots are actually connected once, you, once you're once you seeing it from Vader's perspective and then you think about the big picture, which I'm sure you've thought about at some point, but seeing it for some reason in this comic makes you go, huh, that, that is pretty crazy how that happened. And this is what happens when you do reviews spoiler-free because I could easily talk about a ton of spoilers from this book, but I don't want to do that because I want you. To, I want you to have the same reaction to seeing these things from Vader's eyes, like I did. It's just really, really interesting stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. Prepare yourself for a big wow moment at the end of this issue. I mean, that will leave you pretty much screaming for the next one. It's it's one of those how is this possible type of moments. Now, is it exactly is is 
cut and dry as it seems. It's the only time will tell when we end up seeing the second issue, but it's it's a pretty big deal. I mean, everything in between there is very much a like a trip down memory lane slash something Vader feels like he has to do sort of thing. So that's the that's the meat to the meat of this book, but I got to tell you that ending was was pretty pretty eye-popping when I saw it. Now, what I love about the art in this book specifically is how the moments that we we know are taken and shown in a different light and perspective. And I and the and the art does a great job of that, especially the use of color is key here because it invokes a certain emotion that's attached to the present situation, living in the now, but but thinking about things that have happened in the past as well. There, there are scenes that you'll almost see word for word from some movies, but it's 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 presented differently because of the art, and that's what makes it feel different, and that's very, very important as you're reading this issue. Now, this is an untold story that I think we've wanted for a while, and it really does not disappoint. And from Greg Pak, you should have, you should have known that going in already. Vader also has an unlikely companion on this mission as well. And it kind of not only provides a, an unconventional narration type of situation, but it also lightens the mood a bit in, in, a, in a very serious issue that's kind of important. So I got to tell you, this is a solid four and a half out of five for me. I was very, very impressed with this issue overall. And that and that ending, man, that was, I, again, that's one I'm going to be thinking about all the way until the next issue. And that is absolutely not an exaggeration whatsoever. How about a little advanced review now of Valiant Comics' Dr. Tomorrow, number one, Alejandro Arbona doing the writing there. Sorry about that, Alejandro. Jim Toe on the art, Diego Rodriguez on the colors, Clayton Cowles on the letters, and Kenneth Rocafort on the cover, which is actually pretty neat. Now, this tells you the story of Bart Sims, who's kind of a typical, yet kind of angry as well, teenager who has a lot of normal problems but also has a lot of pain in his life for a lot of different for a couple of different reasons in particular, in which I, I won't spoil for you here. Now he does have a friend named Gretchen that tries to help him, but I mean, again, he's a teenager, so he's a little stubborn and he's not always going to listen. And he's going to, you know, have a little bit of a short fuse. Now he's about to find out that he's much more than he could have ever imagined that he could be, or something about himself that he didn't know. We also see that Dr. Tomorrow, who is our hero in the story, tangling with a very, very nasty villain who might have just acquired some sort of universe-destroying power. Always good, right? Now, the only question here is, is that what might really destroy the universe? Because, you know, you see good guy, bad guy, bad guy has thing. Bad guy might be trying to destroy the universe, and then you realize that it might be something else altogether. And that's one of the interesting things about this story and you'll understand what I mean when you read it that'll make a lot more sense or when we get to talk about the second issue and I can talk about what happened to the first issue because again no spoilers now if you love familiar faces if you're a Valiant fan this book has a lot of them you will definitely see a lot of familiar faces and one thing I really loved about this book was the message that it sent though about being better finding the best parts of yourself and being better. This is the kind of story really that we need right now, just in general. Plus, I mean, it's a fun story and there's a ton of action. Really hard to go wrong with that. This is kind of a book that checks all the boxes, really. I mean, it's it's one of those things where when I, when I saw the book and, you know, you see the previews for the art and you get to see a couple pages, I'm like, oh, this looks like it could be neat. What I didn't expect was how 
much I was going to just enjoy reading it page to page and how this Bart Sims character, you know, he's certainly relatable for a lot of people. I mean, not everybody's gone through what he's gone through, but there's certainly certain variations thereof that, that, that make you kind of relate to this kid. And then you get to see Dr. Tomorrow, who is a, it, it's just a very neat hero that, that's very, very likable. And you also look at Jim Toe's art in this book. It provides a couple of larger-than-life moments that really feel like they're leaping off the page. Like, like, literally, it's almost like, you know how they used to have those little pop-up books? You could open them and stuff would literally just jump right out. There's a couple moments in this book where I really feel like something just was going to jump right out at me. And it was really, really neat. I actually can't wait to see where this story goes. It feels like they're barely scratching the surface of what could be a really long-standing run for this character with and and this is just the first arc. This is almost like how I felt the first time I read Exo Man of War. While tonally this is very 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 different from Exo, it's the same kind of vibe that I got when I first read Exo years ago. I was like, man, this character could definitely go somewhere and have a lot of longevity and I feel like Doctor Tomorrow could have that same potential, but you're going to have to wait a little bit longer to put this one in your pull box. I'm going to go ahead and give this one a four out of five. Really looking forward to seeing where this one goes. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Let's see if Lego Masters has something to build on. I will be dropping some spoilers in my review of the first episode of Fox's Lego Masters next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Luke Mitchell from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week, it is definitely time to get brick-faced. It's my spoiler-filled review of Fox's Lego Masters, the U.S. version. This has already been a show in the U.K. and I believe Australia as well. And, I mean, it's just fun because you're talking about what are, you know, at least billed as the best of the best Lego builders in the U.S. competing for $100,000. And, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting idea and it seemed like... It would be a lot of fun. And then you've got Will Arnett, who's the host of, you know, of course, the voice of Lego Batman. And and he actually, before I get into the meat of this first episode, which is called Dream Park Theme Park, what Will Arnett does is you're either going to love Will Arnett as the host of this show, or he's going to drive you absolutely insane. And I'll tell you why, because Will Arnett really pokes fun at the game show kind of typical reality show game show type format type of situation where like he's talking to a couple of contestants and he's like can you believe that our conversation here might actually end up being interrupted by a commercial and, and then it is and there's certain things like that and he's just you could tell he's not your average everyday conventional host and that was one thing that was actually refreshing for me it's hard to break the fourth wall on a reality competition but he kind of does it's like he doesn't mind poking fun at the thing he's actually doing, but it's in a refreshing way. It's like, yeah, it's it's almost like his way of saying, yeah, the, you know, we've seen different variations of shows like this in the past. Here's why it's going to be different. And, very, and he's just a very self-aware host, and I think it comes across that way to anybody that's going to be watching the show. So I thought that that was a really refreshing way to do it. And then they brought in a couple of experts as well, Jamie Berard, and Amy Corbett. So if you know Lego, you know that they are a very big deal. You want to talk about master builders there. You're certainly two of the top builders that you could possibly get to come on and and be judges and kind of consultants on the show as well for the contestants. Now, here's what I don't want to do. 
and and first of all that you have you have ten teams of you know two people each. And all kinds of walks of life. Life like you, you have Crystal and Amy who who come from the cosplay world. And that was really cool getting to see them represent the cosplay community in in Lego. You've got uh, Manny and Nestor who that was the, that was a story to me. The father and son that was that was that they, they were the team I really wanted to root for because you know just the deep connection that they had. You know fathers and sons who get together and you know bonded. Over Lego, that was something that they really bonded over, and I think that that was a really cool, important thing. You've got Tyler and Amy, who are your married couple, and then you've got Flynn and Richard, who are, who are the guys. that's like the guys who you who you know if you're a little bit older that have been fans of Lego their entire life and just lived that lifestyle well into adulthood, made no apologies for it. I remember I I always say at the end of every podcast, never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly, and that's what these guys are doing. They're embodying that. So I don't want to go through and talk about every team and whether or not I like the teams or not. But I will say, and I don't like commenting on people that I don't, I don't really know these people. You just see them through the lens of the show, right? So I don't want to really comment on these people personally. I will say without naming names that there were a, a couple of really annoying people on this show, at least through the lens of the show in this first episode. That really just, they're annoying. And that's going to happen when you watch these reality shows and you watch these competition shows. There's going to be teams or people that just annoy you in general. And 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 that's just the way it is. But again, I don't want to name names because I don't really feel like it's, it's fair to judge people that I don't really know. But what I can judge are the builds that they had. And of course, with Dream Park Theme Park, they had to basically build their own theme parks around the central theme of the dream park. One thing I thought that was really neat about telling contestants how they're supposed to do this is, is they reveal this giant table. If you, if you haven't seen the episode, you reveal this giant table and basically you have to take a section of the table away and that's where you do your build. And then you have to wheel the table back together and everything fits together and all the builds become one giant build. So I thought that was really, really cool concept that they did. And they had 15 hours to put it together and you're thinking 15 hours geez that's a lot i mean did that seem like too much not really and a couple of the teams found that out the hard way like you had and again spoilers from here on out by the way if you haven't seen the episode but you saw you know tyler and amy got stuck in the planning phase at one point for too long and jesse and Carr actually they they abandoned ship on their concept entirely and one of the things that they had to do was have a moving piece. Something had to move. So you you know, almost had to like have a ride that that moved. And as impressive as Boone and Mark's build was to have their their element not work with their with their roller coaster, which was super, super cool. And then it breaks down when it needs to work the most. That I really, really thought that that was gonna cost them big time. And then you had Manny and Nestor and now Manny needed to I mean, this is a very good lesson, and sometimes you need to listen to your your dad. You need to listen to your parents, and I hope my I hope my son realizes this one day. Is that you know sometimes you need to listen to dad because dad knows knows what he's talking about. Because the experts were telling me and Nestor like, hey, your roller coaster's not really a roller coaster. You need to this thing needs to go somewhere, and it didn't. Now it was cool, you know. They had you know the different the different food court areas and stuff. It was a neat build, and it was it was very true to life. But at the same time, it's like guys. You know, well, guy, one of them anyway. You, you kind of missed part of the point of the whole thing, and and 
what you, you know, you have to make your, it had to move and it didn't really kind of move. But I, I got to tell you, and this is what, this is what happens when you, the first people to go set the bar so high and then you have to match up to that. And that was Christian and Aaron's build that had, you know, the one that had that giant Ferris wheel on it. And it was just so massive and so impressive to the point that everybody else, and, and I felt this way watching it. And it's not that some of the other builds weren't cool. It was just that they peaked too early. And you, you see how cool theirs was. And everybody else's was like, yeah, it's cool. But now if Boone and Marks had worked, it might have been competition for them. And certainly, I mean, like I thought Flynn and Richard's build was neat. You know, I thought that Mel and Germain and Travis and Corey actually did a pretty good job as well. And even Crystal and Amy, I thought they had a good build. But at the same time, you, you see just how good the build was from Christian and Aaron. You kind of knew who was going to win right off the bat because you're seeing it as they go, too, what these teams are building. And I kind of knew going in, okay, this is the team that's going to win. And they did. They got the golden brick. But And I'll talk about the very end of the show here in just a second. But I want to talk about the execution of the show for just a minute. And one thing that actually I wish they'd done more, and maybe it's because this was the first episode and you have to introduce all the teams and stuff like that. A lot of times shows like this where you've got competition reality shows, there's either one or two things. There's either one or the other thing that you can focus on. You can either focus more on the contestants or you can focus more on the thing that they're doing. In this, in this case, it would be the build for the Legos. And I thought we got a little bit too much focus on the actual contestants. Because let's face it, you're kind of in for this show to watch for the Lego builds, not necessarily the teams that are building them, aren't you? And I understand that there is a personal story aspect to this. And and again, certainly, I, I was certainly somebody who felt this way, like I was rooting for Manny and Nestor because of their story. And I thought, you know, Boone and Mark, they're they very likable dudes. So I was really rooting for their build to work. And there were some other teams as well. Crystal and Amy, another, you know, you're going you're gonna to root for your fellow cosplay community. So, you know, as, as somebody who's, you know, knows many cosplayers and has great respect for what they do, the fact that they're bringing that kind of passion to Lego I thought was really, really neat. So those are a few teams I, I was definitely rooting for. But at the same time, even if there weren't, if none of the teams were super likable, if they made great builds, then I'm in it for the great builds. And I really wish that they would have focused a little bit more on that. Now we get to see little designs and sketches of what they were going to make, and we get to see them building it. I get that. But it was the, I feel like there wasn't enough time spent on the builds themselves in this. So I hope we get to focus more on that. In this upcoming episode, I do love that that Jamie Burrard and Amy Corbett were ve- they were tough as far as as far as judges they were tough and they they definitely did not you know they they did not sugarcoat anything they were, they were telling the teams exactly what they thought I mean it wasn't like Gordon Ramsay tough but I still thought, thought that they were pretty tough it was fair and I and I liked that that they didn't kind of baby him even in this first episode you know because these are supposed to be expert. Lego builders, and they're definitely being held to that standard. But the show was definitely fun. I thought it was very interesting that they didn't eliminate anybody in this first episode. Everybody kind of got a mulligan in this first one. And and I kind of like that, but at the same time, it was one of those things like, okay, we're giving you a free pass, but then you go back to how, how tough the judges were, and you go, okay, so on one hand, you're saying that these are supposed to be the best of the best, 
and you're tough on them in the judging phase. And then when it comes time to actually eliminate somebody, you give them a pass. I kind of thought that that was a bit of a mixed message. So it's like, okay, these if, now these, if these were complete amateurs and we're asking them to make these impressive builds, then giving them a pass in the beginning, I could see that. But, and maybe that's just the nice thing to do, right? But, but telling me that these are the 10 best Lego building teams in America and then saying, okay, we know how hard this must have been. We're not going to eliminate anyone in the first week. I don't know, kind of sent a mixed message to me. Now, does that mean that two teams are going to go home next week or two teams are going to go home in the same week at some point? That could that could certainly be the case, and only time will tell on that. But I kind of wished that they stuck to their stuck to their guns there and, and actually just eliminated somebody from this. And there was a clear bottom two that I thought I thought they picked the right bottom two. I would have sent somebody home, but I guess maybe they'll be a little bit maybe they'll be a little bit tougher this week because they gave them that break in this next episode. But I mean, it's definitely something. It's fun. It's something I'm going to continue to watch and see if the focus shifts in the second episode. Now that we've been introduced to all of the teams and we don't need to focus on their backstories so much, maybe there will be more of a focus on the builds this week because after one week, you've pro- you've pretty much already decided which teams you like and which teams you don't, right? But I really hope the builds get more and more impressive. The challenges get harder and harder because if these are the best teams in the U.S., then I really hope that they push them and make them prove that more and more each week. So we'll see how that goes. But Lego Masters from from Fox, not a huge, huge success for me in its first episode, but certainly something that was a lot of fun. Will Arnett, Will Arnett a big part of that. It was a lot of fun, and I will definitely be checking out at least the next episode to see how this thing goes going forward. That's my spoiler-filled review of LEGO Masters from Fox up next. Some very interesting nerd news to talk about. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Peter David, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Is your retro spidey sense tingling? It's time for nerd news. The reason I say that, you might have seen the reports that have been going on throughout the week that Sam Raimi is going to be directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And now this has been confirmed by comicbook.com. There's been a lot of stuff that's gone on about, you know, he's been in talks. And apparently comicbook.com feeling very confident that this is a done deal and that, you know, it, it's it's been a while since we've seen Sam Raimi actually directing a feature film. I think it was, what, Oz the Great and Powerful back in 2013 was, was the last one. I mean, he's been doing other stuff. He's got other stuff in development as well, but nothing on a grand scale like what would be the Doctor Strange sequel. And I know that fans are freaking out about this and, and people are excited and... And I totally get that. And I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that I enjoyed the Spider-Man trilogy that he did. I mean, I think that you could make the argument that Spider-Man 1 and 2 were some of the great, if not the greatest, superhero movies ever. Certainly, I think Spider-Man 2 is up there in the conversation as one of the greatest ever. But let's not act like Sam Raimi has been the guy that's you know brought gold to everything He's touched. I mean, do you remember how much fans hated Venom in Spider-Man 3? And Spider-Man 3 in general was not very well received by a lot of fans. I, I, I didn't hate it. I, I actually enjoyed Spider-Man 3 because, you know, you know me. I'm going to find something I like about everything. But 
And, and I mean, Oz the Great and Powerful, if we're being honest, wasn't the greatest movie either. But And I'm not trying to pile on Sam Raimi here. I just think it's interesting when fans choose to be excited about certain things and don't based on something, some things that they've seen in the past. And I mean, maybe part of this excitement is, and I've already seen this, oh, we're going to see Bruce Campbell. Oh, we're going to see Xena make a cameo. Oh, is Tobey Maguire coming back to play Spider-Man or having a cameo? I, I get that there's excitement about those things, but does that mean that Sam Raimi's going to be a great director for Doctor Strange 2? I don't know. Maybe he will be. I certainly think he will be. I think he'll do a really good job. And I know, and there's been other reports that, you know, he's wanted to get back, he's wanted to get into the MCU for a while now. Yeah, but who wouldn't? You know, I, that's those, those are the kind of reports that kind of drive me nuts, when, especially the ones like, oh, such and such would love to play a superhero or play this superhero character. Yeah, you would because it prints money. Of course you would. Of course you'd want to do that. There are very few actors that say, you know what, superhero movies, I'll pass, not for me. And there, quite frankly, there are a few directors that feel that way as well, at least that have said so publicly, publicly anyway. So I do think that Sam Raimi will do a good job, and I think he's, he's a good fit for this. But this is a huge undertaking here. We are talking about a multiverse movie here, and Marvel hasn't really introduced their multiverse yet. So this Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness movie, which is going to be out May 7th, 2021, is kind of a bigger deal than a normal Doctor Strange 2 movie. And you've also got Sam Raimi jumping in the to the middle of a world that is about to make a huge expansion here. So this is either a really good time to bring in Sam Raimi to do this or a really bad time. And I guess only time will tell as to how that's going to shake loose. Although, to me, this movie, it, it seems really, it's going to be really hard to screw it up. Quite frankly, I think that that you've planned this out pretty well. You're going to be introducing the multiverse. This is a good place to do it. it, it this one seems like a really safe bet to be a success, even before Raimi was attached to it. I'm really excited for where this is going to go. I'm, I'm excited for Sam Raimi and his chance to finally get back into the superhero genre. And yeah, of course I want to see a Tobey Maguire cameo. I'd love to see him back in the Spider-Man suit doing his thing. Hey, put Andrew Garfield in there too while you're at it. I know that you you, know, you hated him as Spider-Man, or at least as Peter Parker. I actually didn't mind him as Spider-Man. It was the Peter Parker thing, that you know, him being kind of douchey that I never really cared for. But hey, I'm the one that liked the first Amazing Spider-Man movie, so what do I know, right? Speaking of what I do know, and that is that we have plenty of release dates for those Marvel and the Mandalorian Disney Plus series. So the Variety had that call from CEO Bob Iger, the, the, the report from the corporate investors, corporate earnings call, and we got a lot of information out of it. So I'll go ahead and run it down for you. The Mandalorian Season 2 will be in October of 2020, so a little bit earlier than we got Season 1, so it'll be less than a year for The Mandalorian to come back, so I like that already. You've got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which will be the first of the Marvel series. That'll be in August of 2020, followed by WandaVision in December of 2020, both of those slightly being moved up, and then Loki in 2021. I think that was originally scheduled for spring. It'd be interesting to see if that ends up getting bumped up, although I don't think it will. I think spring of 2021 is probably a safe bet for the Loki series. Now, involved in all of this, and this has kind of gotten lost in the larger story of the amazing release dates, is that there are two unannounced Marvel series that are a part of this that haven't been that haven't been revealed yet. Now, 
you know, let the speculation begin, really, right? I mean, does this mean that the embargo on the Netflix characters will be over by then? Does that mean we might finally get a, you know, Daredevil back? Do, would, maybe maybe we get Punisher back? Although, remember, they're not really interested in rated R stuff. So be careful what you wish for on Disney Plus with Daredevil and with the Punisher. Remember that before you say you want these things. Or, I mean, could this be a place to introduce certain X-Men characters? You could certainly do that. I mean, could could we get more prequels? Could this be a chance to bring some of the Marvel Rising characters to the forefront in live action, like maybe a Squirrel Girl? Is this a good place to put Riri Williams in the Iron Man suit and have an Ironheart series? There are certainly a lot of different options that you could choose here. And, you know, we've got Moon Knight coming, we've got Miss Marvel coming, and some other series that aren't that are characters that aren't currently part of the MCU. So this isn't necessarily something that's going to spin right from one of the Marvel movies into a Disney Plus series. I'd love to see a Lady Sif series, quite frankly. you got Blind Spot ending on NBC, so Jamie Alexander's going to have some some time on her hands. Why not do that? I mean, that'd be, be a cool way to give us a little bit of an expansion on Thor, Thor's world. And we, haven't, we don't really know what she's been up to either. So there's that, right? I mean, that'd be a cool thing that they could do. There's certainly a ton of options, but those are just some that, that pop into my head right off the jump. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do. And now keep in mind, these unannounced series would probably be pushed pretty far, definitely into 2022, if not 2023. So yeah, they, you, we could certainly see those Netflix Marvel characters come back at some point. Or at least be rebooted. I don't know that they'll ever really come back. I think that we need to make our peace with that now that these are characters that probably in their sa- in the same context will not be back. Does that mean we'll never see Daredevil again? No, that's absolutely not what it means at all. What I'm saying is, is that I think we need to let go of those stories and just enjoy them for what they were because I'm not sure that's something we're ever going to see back again. Speaking of things we might not see at all, The Hollywood Reporter has come out and let us know that why The Last Man is in trouble once again because it's lost its male lead, which is kind of a big deal when you're talking about why The Last Man, and that's Barry Keegan, has left the project and will no longer play Yorick Brown, so now that role has been uncast. So, again, kind of a big deal when your show is called Why the Last Man and you lose your male lead. Now, granted, they still have Diane Lane. They still have Lashana Lynch. There's a lot of other really good names that are attached to this. But how do you move forward without the last man? The report also goes on to say that there's going to be, they're not planning on having any delays or anything like that. And yeah, there's some scripts that are still in. How do you not have delays when you don't have your leading man? How do you move forward like that? Unless you've already got somebody that you that you wanted from before that that you didn't give the job to and you're like oh well, we'll just give it to them and even, but even then you gotta you gotta bring this person in you've got to acclimate them you've got to get them familiar with the role with the scripts that you that you have and things like that and this show has really really had a lot of trouble getting off the ground I mean there's been some leadership changes there's been other delays as well and there might been might have been a network jump or two that that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. I'm just wondering at this point, much as I hate to say it, is it time to just put this one on the shelf and just say forget it for now? I, it might be. I mean, I it's amazing to me how many problems that this thing has had. Now, Lock and Key finally hit Netflix 
this week. And that show certainly went through a lot of turmoil, a lot of network changes. They recast almost their entire cast, if I remember correctly, and that thing still ended up getting made. But it got made by Netflix after it left another network. After all these, once Netflix got the project, the 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 turmoil was over. They just made the thing. FX has not been able to get away from the problems that this adaptation has brought with it. There have been plenty of changes since FX has gotten the project. So maybe you either shelve it entirely or maybe we need to find a way to get it away from FX. Maybe maybe that's the key here. I mean, again, technically FX being a Disney property, Disney owned property, why the last man is a D, technically a DC property. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that they're not making it a priority for that reason. That's I'm not going to go that far, especially since I have zero information to to back that up. So I'm not going to say that. I'm just saying that, you know, maybe maybe it would be better off with another home. I mean, from an aesthetic standpoint, the the subject and media match each other. FX and Why the Last Man, they, they seem like a good fit together. But But again, all these problems... That just don't seem to go away. I don't know how you reconcile that and, and move forward with this network. And maybe the network's decided, you know what, this is more trouble than it's worth. We need to ditch this thing. And, you know, we can't possibly, I can't possibly know what the contract contractual stuff is there if it's that easy on either side. But I'm just, I wouldn't be surprised if the next story we find out about with why the last man is that that it's, it's on the shelf or it's being moved to another network. I, that just wouldn't shock me at all. One more thing as far as casting news, actually good casting news that we have to round things out on, and that is Superman and Lois, the upcoming series from the CW, has cast the super sons of Lois and Clark. Now, Jordan L. Elsus is going to be playing Jonathan Kent, and that is the character that we kind of expected. Now, the description is out saying that Jonathan is clean-cut, modest, and kind-hearted with an aw-shucks attitude that somehow doesn't seem dated. That's the Jonathan Kent we pretty much know from the comics. Anyway, here's the surprise one, though. And then is Alexander Garfin, who's going to be playing Jordan Kent. So, yeah. Oh, not the super son you were expecting? No, I don't think that's the one that anyone was expecting. But the description for him is that the boy is wildly intelligent, but his mercurial temperament and social anxiety limits his interactions with people and consequently... Jordan prefers to spend most of his free time alone playing video games. Now, obviously, we know that in the comics, the Super Sons are Jonathan Kent, Damian Wayne. There was some speculation that Damian would be the adopted son of Lois and Clark because Bruce Wayne is disappear- has disappeared in the Arrowverse and that is canon right now. So, you know, it would stand to reason that somebody would look after Damien and that Clark and Lois would take on that responsibility. Now, there's been a lot of speculation again with this. I mean, are, are we talking about fraternal twins here? Is this just a crisis thing where, yeah, we saw them with one baby before, but now they have two because we saw Diggle's family dynamic change as well. So, so what is this change? And is is Jordan an adopted son, not not a biological son? We don't know that for sure. And again, any of those things could be possible until we get confirmation on this. But it also doesn't mean that this is not Damian Wayne, because 
if Bruce had and is in fact disappeared, which she seems to be, and Damien ended up with another family to protect Damien, wouldn't you maybe change his name or, or call him something else in mixed company just so people don't know, hey, this is Bruce Wayne's son? Because think of how much pressure that would put Damien under and, and how much attention that would bring to him. You know, he get the where's dad question all the time. And not to mention all the other problems that would come around, you know, with the league and, you know, other villains that might be trying to kidnap him or kill him or whatever. It, you, to protect Damien, that's something that you might do. So that doesn't mean that, that at the end of the day, Jordan Kent is not Damian Wayne. We have to keep that in mind. But there are a world of possibilities here. I mean, either way, I'm super excited for Superman and Lois. I think this is going to be an amazing series. I think that this is going to be one of the best series in the Arrowverse once once the dust settles here. I really think that this, I have high hopes for this. I mean, we've got Todd Helbing that's involved, who is the showrunner for The Flash. He's going to be doing the writing. The usual suspects are are there as, as executive producers with Greg Berlanti and Sarah Schechter and company. So it seems like this show is set up for success if you already love the Arrowverse anyway, which I do. This is a char- These are characters that I was hoping were going to get their own series ever since we saw them debut. To, well, together. I mean, Hogan debuted before, before Bitsy Tullock did, but once we saw them together, I'm like, this is a show that has to happen. And I'm glad that it looks like it is going to, and hopefully it's going to this upcoming TV season in the 2020-2021 season because I'm not sure I can wait much longer for this. That's going to do it for Nerd News up next. Speaking of the Arrowverse, going to be talking to Christine Adams about what's going on with Black Lightning. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sierra Nay, and I play Hawkgirl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's been an amazing season of Black Lightning, but that should be nothing new, right? And the Book of Markovia is still open, and that is why we are talking to Lynn Pierce this week. It's Christine Adams. Christine, how you doing? How you doing? I'm so happy to be here. Now, Christine, when we sat down together at San Diego Comic-Con this past July, you, you, mm-hmm. you all had only really seen a couple of scripts, and you really didn't know a whole lot about what was going on this season. But if I had told you that Lynn would be releasing Tobias Whale from ASA custody back then, what would you have said? I would have said, James, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> he is the Pierce family, arch-evil rival, murderer of Jefferson's father. So that's an actually ridiculous concept. But, you know, this being Black Lightning, you can always expect the unexpected. So, yeah, we were quite surprised by that, too. But I thought it was so brilliantly done. I mean, I thought the story unfolded in such a clever way because, like you say, who would have seen that coming? But in that moment, it made sense, right? It it, it makes sense. Totally. Yeah, it totally made sense to me. I, yeah. was just, I was just still shocked by it. And I'm, st- I'm still shocked by it, actually. Yeah. I still can't believe it. Yeah, but also don't forget, you know, we're talking about this constant like shift in power that's something we've seen a lot in this season of black mm-hmm. lightning of who really is in power who's pulling the strings who's the puppet master you know someone is up you know one week and the next week they're the underdog and you know i think one of the sort of big shocking scenes for me this season was the scene between adele and tobias where 
you know, it's their first kind of real showdown, mm-hmm. throwdown, if you like. And at the end, Odell opens up the roof of Tobias's cell and watches his skin burn. You know, suddenly I felt sorry for Tobias. You know, I felt bad I for him. It just seemed like, and I just think that's so interesting. It's like constant shifting of power and, and also kind of, the the notion of right and wrong and, you know, who's doing the right thing, who's doing the wrong thing, and they're kind of all doing the right and the wrong thing all at the same time, aren't they? You know, it's sort of fascinating to me that that's kind of, you know, on the one hand, they're making a decision, you're like, yeah, you know, you, you have to make that decision at that moment, but also it's kind of like, why are you making that decision? Right. So I think every character is like, sort of walking that line or has walked that line this season. I think no one is squeaky clean. I think maybe season one, season two, there were people who sort of came out of things unscathed. But I think season three, everybody has got their hands dirty Mm -hmm. and everybody has done something very, very questionable. And I think that's such a great, like, springboard for the next season. No doubt about everyone's it. everyone's got their hands dirty. I mean, Lynn, actually, to be fair, she was the first one to get her hands dirty. You're, you're kind of right there, yeah. Dead in the end of season one, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's crazy, too, because I feel like Crisis on Infinite Earths has kind of affected each show differently, and it seems like things really changed more for Lynn than anyone else now that we're in this sort of post-crisis world that we're in would you say that that's when the change started or, or was it possibly kind of before that like when Gamby got her out of the asa building i mean i think we were always sort of doing that i think we're always kind of working towards that but there has definitely been a shift certainly you know i can't speak to all the shows in the crossover but i certainly think in our show there's been kind of a shift yeah i think i think that's true but i don't know if it's specifically because of crisis, but I do know that I think we were definitely moving towards. And also it is, it's a, you know, fairly female-heavy show, Black Lightning. You know, you've got two girls who are superheroes, and then you've got, you know, Lynn, who is, you know, at this point, you know, she's racking up some little superhero powers of her own. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, you know, we don't really know the direction that's going to go in, but really at this point, what she's able to do and what she's discovering opens up a lot of possibilities. No doubt about it. As a matter of fact, let's talk about those powers a little bit, because I never really expected Lynn to get powers, and I mean, yet here we are. Now, we know how she felt when she found out that the girls had powers, so how do you think that's going to work now that things are kind of turned around a little bit? Yeah, but I think with Lynn it's different because I think Lynn still exists in this world of, and it could be a little bit deluded, but science. That this is a sort of, for her, there's a scientific element in what she's doing. And that's always been kind of her role within this family of superheroes in a sense of, aside from being the glue of family, there's also this sense of she wants to understand what is happening you know, neurologically with Jefferson, with mm-hmm. Jennifer, with Anissa. You know, that's interesting to her. And she also then being the kind of 
preeminent world expert on green light babies and the meta children. I mean, she knows more at this point than anyone else. Mm. I think that's ultimately what is going to drive this exploration of powers. Now, once she's got the keys to the kingdom, and she does essentially have the keys to the kingdom mm-hmm. as much as she has figured out how to uh, attach properties to any given person at any given time for any amount of time. What does that mean? And is she going to use that for good or for evil? I don't know. We'll have to see. But at the end of the day, now she almost becomes a puppeteer. You know, the shift of power again of, you know, Jefferson is one thing and we've seen his immense power and thunder is another thing. But lightning, I mean, I think at the end of season two we really have that sense of holy shit she is the sort of ultimate you know she can heart she is a generator and then that sort of next layer with lynn is that well i can look at any of these powers across any of these matters and i think i understand how these genetic mutations work and I think I can extract them and move them anywhere I damn well please. So what, you know, it, I honestly, I don't know the answer to that question other than she has the keys to the kingdom. Does that make sense? Oh, no, that makes perfect you know, sense. It makes she, absolutely perfect sense. Yeah, so so I think her response to this is is different to what the girls have gone through. What the girls have gone through is essentially, this is what you are, this is what you, you will be for the rest of your life. And you may choose to use it, you may choose not to use it, you know, you'll have to figure out how it all works, but this is you. Lynn is kind of like, I could essentially be anything and I can make anyone anything. So I think it's a different, there's a different sort of power there. And I don't know you know, what she's going to do with it. And I don't know if it's always going to be good, <laughs> to be honest. I'm sure we'll find um, out and soon I think that's, <laughs> We'll find out season four, but I know for one thing, it's going to be a roller coaster, And it's not, it's never going to be what you expect. I know that just because I know kind of what the show is. And I know that we don't sort of go for the kind of obvious, we just don't go for the obvious, as in her releasing Tobias from the ASA facility. You know, who could have predicted it, like you say? No doubt about it. Talking to Christine Adams, who, of course, plays Lynn Pierce on Black Lightning, which you watch every Monday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on The CW. I know you do. Now, Christine, we've seen Jefferson go to great lengths to protect his family. We already saw that at the beginning of this season with you as well. Now, how worried should we be that he's teaming up with the ASA again now after everything that's happened? I mean, I think, again, the stakes are different. I think season one, season two, it really was about his family. It was about his girls. It was about Lynn. But now this is there's a war happening, and it's a war in Freeland. And I think he, you know, he feels such a responsibility to the people of Freeland and to the Meta kids and to the Greenlight babies that I think his idea of who he should protect will become even more and more kind of inflated just out of necessity. I mean, this is a much, we're dealing with much bigger, bigger issues. It's not just a couple of people. It's, it's an entire city. It's an entire, you know, 
could mm-hmm. be an entire nation if the ASA are able to kind of infiltrate in the way they want to infiltrate or Markovians or whoever the heck is pulling those damn strings. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he really will, you know, all of those children are his children in, in a sense. And he will feel an immense responsibility to go out and save them at the risk of his entire family's life, to be honest, because once he's exposed, they're exposed. So, you know, it's it's something he, as Jefferson Pierce feels he has to do, but it also is something that could really potentially jeopardize his family, right? Exactly. Exactly. Now, speaking yeah. of, you, you all have had some great guest stars on the show, too, over the years. And yeah. what was it like to mm-hmm. add... Wayne Brady into the mix this time because that was one that, that kind of surprised Amazing. me. What was that like? Amazing. I mean, first of all, Wayne Brady's like the hardest working man in show business. Um, so he's, you know, spinning a lot of plates. I think he's a huge fan of the comic book and I think just a camp comic book fan. I think he was a huge fan of the show before he'd seen it. And I think he is something, you know, people want to be on our show. They, they want to, you know... I want to be I'm on your show. Here. Everybody gonna, does, yes. I'm not going to tell any... I'm not going to say any names, but, like, we've, we've had some pretty interesting, you know, some pretty interesting people have approached us to be on the show. Ooh, that's um, juicy. That's a juicy nugget right there. Isn't it? Uh-huh. I knew you'd like that one. But, and I'm hoping in season four, if we can get this person, I will literally... I, I mean, all my wishes would come true if we could get this specific person. But, you know, I think that, I mean, I love that we've got the kind of Bill Dukes of, you know, I mean, what an amazing kind of figure to add to the show. Uh, You know, it brings such kind of gravitas and he's so kind of legendary and, you know, just really brings a whole other dimension. And I think people are going to be surprised by Wayne Brady's performance because I think it's, something that you you haven't seen him do before and he's an incredible you know singer performer i know people sort of know him more in that vein but mm. i think you know he's a wonderful dramatic actor and i think people are going to be really surprised and pleased you know when they really see towards the end of this season you know the grave digger which is origin story as it were so yeah, I, I think it's a great choice. I think it's a great choice. I think it's an unusual, surprising choice, and I think he's going to surprise everyone in it as well. So I think it's going to be great. Looking forward to that. Now, Christine, before I let you go, I want to kind of bring this full circle mm-hmm. full circle here because yeah. there's something else that we talked about at Comic-Con. We were talking about, you know, Lynn maybe getting more physical in this upcoming season. We've certainly kind of seen that a little bit, and you brought up Dr. Jace. Now, I know you can't spoil anything, but, you know, is there a chance that we could see round two here? Because I'd be looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can confirm at some point Dr. Jace and Lynn will go head to head. Oh, here we go. That's, that's what they do. That's what they do. You know, and it could be, it could be like really, really soon. Um, and I'm not, I'm not giving anything away, but I, I strongly suggest that you would sit and watch television tonight, nine o'clock on CW. But yeah, the, the, the Dr. Jace, what I love about the Dr. Jace and Lynn relationship is there's like the physical, obviously, the smackdown of last season, which was glorious and so satisfying. Mm. But there's also this physical and mental sparring that I love. 
And, you know, they are, again, they're enemies, but there is this sort of mutual respect as Mm -hmm. scientists and people trying to find the answer. And again, her way of getting the answer, very questionable. My way, you know, might seem in my head sort of a better, more rational way, but who knows? They're not that dissimilar, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, you're going to, you're, yes, is the answer. You will see, you will see them go head to head. I don't like her odds. I didn't didn't back then, and I really don't now. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, Lynn, she knows how to take someone down. Um, And that's what I love about her. You know, it's like for all her lofty intelligence, she she does know how to do the smackdown. So, yeah, there's there's no way you're not going to see more of that because it's just fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to play. And I think they're really, they're very well matched, put it that way. It's, it's going to be good. You're going to be happy with it. Well, you heard what you said. Make sure you're watching every Monday night at 9 o'clock Eastern time on the CW yeah. for Black yeah. Lightning, the book of Markovia is the arc that they've got going on right now. And you know what I suggest? I yeah. suggest you keep watching it again and again, too, on the CW app. Yeah. As well. It's yeah, Christine you can, Adams. You thank you. Stream it for free. Yeah, thank you so much. Really nice to talk to you, and uh, yeah, just just keep on watching Black Lightning. So as you can probably tell, I was talking to Christine Adams before part three of Book of Markovia from Black Lightning because, yeah, that throwdown between Lynn and Dr. Chase, yeah, it did happen. And, you know, Lynn roughed her up quite a, quite a good bit, didn't she, in part three? But now we know just how much danger Lynn is in. And I thought she she just put some such great insight into not only her character of Lynn, but the entire show in general. And you can hear the excitement in her voice, not just for what's still coming this season, but looking ahead already to season four, where we're foreshadowing to that as well. And this whoever this big star is that they, that they might be getting, I really hope that not only they get them, we find out at Comic-Con who that star is. Because, my goodness, if she's this excited, I'm already excited. And, and I have no idea who it is. So big, big things happening for Black Lightning. You're not going to want to miss a single episode the rest of this season and into season four. Of course, you can watch every Monday night at 9 o'clock Eastern time on The CW. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to the folks at Warner Brothers and The CW and Christine Adams for joining me on the show this week. If you want more from Black Lightning, there's more interviews from Black Lightning than we have on our website, Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's not the first time we've sat down with Christine Adams, as a matter of fact, and other members of the cast, if you want to go check that out. You can also follow along on social media at DownAndNerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook at DownAndNerdy as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.